all of these things that I'm sharing as like tricks to make cooking easier with a chronic illness also can help the busy mom or the you know single person that's working two jobs to pay their rent or the teenager that's learning how to cook on their own. Welcome to Didn't I Just Feed You, a podcast about feeding kids. Hi, I'm Stacy, And I'm Megan. This week, we are taking a listener's request. Our friend Jude Knight emailed us and he asked for us to talk about adaptive cooking. So this How We Feed, we hope is going to be one of many episodes that addresses that. Today, we're talking with Kendra DePinto. Kendra is a disability advocate who shares accessible recipes on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, also on her website, while sharing her own journey with chronic illness. Before we chat with Kendra, an invitation to you lovely people to join our listeners community. We are working on some updates to our recipe archive, a new weekly meal plan, and as always, we have bi-weekly bonus episodes. Y'all, the bonus episodes we have coming up are so good. Like, so, so good. I I mean, they're all good, but like there's future ones I'm really excited about. So you can join our supporting community to get those or subscribe via Apple Podcasts. It is the same audio, whether you use Apple Podcasts or join our community. Um, but if you join our community, you also get some bonus bonuses, like access to us. So visit I didn't bonus I- bonuses. <laughs> bonus bonuses. <laughs> bonus bonuses are my fave. Visit didn't I just feed you dot com backslash community to get all the info about all of that. Stacey, adaptive yes. cooking. What does that mean to you? Gosh, well. I feel like it's a really huge topic. Yes. Um, And we decided to jump in with a how we feed because we've been explicit for those of you who've been listening for a long time. You've probably heard us say this before, but how we feeds have never, they aren't designed to be comprehensive. You know, it's not like investigative journalism where we're like, this is a big article, a big piece on adaptive cooking, where we address like all the different definitions of adaptive cooking, all the different ways that it can play out, you know, depending on what the chronic illness is or what the challenge is. It's just one person sharing their experience so we can start to give visibility to people who aren't platformed by traditional food media. But so Kendra, Kendra has Marfan syndrome. Kendra grapples with some other chronic illnesses, chronic pain because of a surgery that she had when she was younger. She'll fill us in on the details. But it was really just we wanted to talk to Kendra as a starting point. You know, what's it like when you're someone who is grappling with a lot of the stuff, but you need to feed yourself. It just so happened that Kendra is also a trained chef and worked in restaurants. So we thought that was really interesting. But I thought that she actually really, our conversation paved the way for a larger ongoing conversation that happens in a lot of different ways, much better than I ever anticipated. Yes, right? And I think there's something in talking about adaptive cooking and what that means you know, it exists like anything on a spectrum. Kendra has a chronic illness and she deals with fatigue. And her advice is like through that lens. But like you said, 
what she said might also resonate with someone who's wheelchair bound and has to cook and adapt their kitchen in a way. Or who grapples with chronic depression. Yeah. And just has major energy ups and downs. I mean, we even touched on the idea of adaptive recipes when we talked with Casey Davis about how she feeds her family as someone who has ADHD, too. So it's like it's all these different lenses. And I I actually feel like it's weird to say, like, I'm excited to talk about it. But I. Yeah. And what I love about these How We Feed is that each and every time even I am surprised at how applicable the things we hear from people are to all home cooks, right? So it just goes to show, and we talk about this with Kendra, so I don't want to like spoil it too much. I know, much. Like, we just need to get into it, Phyllis. I know, okay, <laughs> but I have to say that I just like, okay. you know, that it it makes me realize how much food and cooking comes food and cooking media, which is how information about food and cooking is widely distributed, really is rooted in, you know, trying to protect and gatekeep these classic notions that come from restaurants, that come from this is the right way to do things, that come from class and white supremacy and all these things. And that the more we have conversations and how we feed, where we really just mean them to be like, hey, this is a conversation with this person who's grappling with this, but still needs to eat or feed their kids, that the more you open the doors, the more you realize that opening the doors helps all of us so much. So even if you're not grappling with a chronic illness yourself, I really do hope that you have hit play. And if you've made it this far, that you continue to listen. We there promise is advice there's for good you. stuff here. Yeah, there is advice for you. There is helpful stuff here. Uh, so should we just get, get into it. it? Okay. Kendra DePinto is a disabled chef with Marfan syndrome and a writer who is using her knowledge as a chef and experience as a disabled woman to share accessible recipes and encourage people to eat in whatever way is possible for them. You can find her recipes, writing, and advocacy work on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook at the handle at Kendra Awesomeness. Welcome to the show, Kendra. Kendra, I want to start by just setting the context in which you do your home cooking. Whatever you're comfortable sharing, tell us what symptoms you are coping with on a day-to-day, month-to-month basis and how they impact what you cook and what you eat. Yeah. So I deal with a lot of uh, chronic back pain. I had my spine fused when I was 15. So my back is fused from my lower neck to my waist and it causes a lot of back pain for me. It also makes it hard to spend long time on Mm -hmm. my feet or standing in the kitchen or leaning over a countertop prepping stuff. Um, So day to day, that's probably the biggest barrier is I can't spend a ton of time on my feet cooking. The other thing, a couple of things, I also have stage four endometriosis. I had surgery for that last summer, which helped immensely, but that's also limited what I'm able to eat. And then I have lung disease that kind of flares up at times. So there'll be weeks or months where I'm feeling fine. And then a month where I can hardly leave my bedroom uh, and get out of bed. So that changes things a little bit more in a planning Mm -hmm. stage where I spend a lot of the time when I'm feeling well trying to physically and logistically prepare for those times that I'm maybe not doing as well. 
What does some of that prep and planning look like? So my freezer is always fully so stocked. Nice. (laughs) And that's one thing that I'm really trying to like share with people. If you can buy it in a freezer at the store, you can make it yourself and put it in a freezer. And whenever I do take the time to make a recipe, I, it takes very little time to make it twice or make twice as much or three times yes, as much totally. or a huge batch. So I have a ridiculous amount of freezer safe, oven safe, microwave safe, dishwasher safe, glass snapware that I, anytime I cook anything, I pretty much always make a double batch of it if it's something that I know will freeze well and throw it in the freezer and preparing. Is that true? Like, are you exaggerating a little bit or literally like every time you make rice and you feel like today's a day, I have energy, I'm going to cook rice for dinner. I'm going to just double it up. Definitely exaggerating a little bit. Um, But I would say once or twice a week, I'm making something that I'm putting in my freezer at least once or twice a week. And sometimes that's like breakfast stuff or side dishes like rice. Like you can cook a giant pot of white rice and it will freeze very well. So it kind of, if it's something that I know will freeze well, I'm pretty much always going to make a bigger batch of it. Yeah, that's great. Um, I I asked you to be specific because I think it's an easy thing to recommend, but I think that as professional cooks, we sometimes forget that the minute you make rice, we automatically know that rice is something that's easy to batch and freeze. Mm -hmm. You know, for other people, that's an that's extra labor that they have to have the mental space to be able to be like, oh yeah, I'm making rice. I can make a double batch now. Or you realize it and you're already like halfway through cooking the rice. So can you just list even just your top five things, like give people some things that every single time you're cooking rice, if you don't have a stockpile already waiting in your freezer, just make a double batch. Any soup because it freezes so well, especially potato soup, because I like to make, I'll make a very basic potato soup. And then when I defrost it, I can make it a loaded baked potato soup or a Cajun baked potato or Cajun potato soup. Nice. So many things. So soup is definitely one of them. Gumbo, because it's so much work to make and it freezes very well. And it's like amazing, delicious comfort food. A lot of different like pasta bakes. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think what's in my freezer right now. I have this pumpkin chili, any chili would work, but I have this pumpkin yeah. chili recipe that I always, pretty much there's always at least a container of it in our freezer. It's a lot of soups. Also, I've done curry or butter chicken. Yes. It's great. I also have done like Kung Pao chicken, really so many things. Yeah. Like any kind of stir fry. Mm-hmm. You mentioned breakfast. Tell me what breakfast you freeze, because that actually is a weird roadblock for me personally. I just last week shared a recipe doing um, breakfast burritos. So it was chorizo and eggs and hash browns and green chili, breakfast sandwiches. I've done these. I don't even know what I call them. My partner loves them. They're like a, I don't know, we call them protein balls. It's oatmeal and uh, peanut butter and chia seeds and flax seed Mm -hmm. and chocolate chips because chocolate chips everything better. Yes. What I love is like everything that you've described is very like high flavor, high reward for the effort that you're putting in. And I know that you have a background in cooking. Like you went to culinary school, you've worked in restaurants. So how has like 
adapting your cooking or working in the world of adaptive recipes, how has that like impacted your emotional relationship to food? Because it sounds like based on everything you're making, like you love food and cooking and you want it to always taste good. Yeah. No matter that for So I think the biggest thing, uh, first dealing with chronic illness completely destroyed my relationship with cooking and food. Mm-hmm. I was getting to a point I was working 60, 70 hours a week as a either general manager or executive chef. And I was quite literally, I'm not exaggerating when I say this, I was killing myself in the process of that job. Yeah. And I was before COVID, I spent three months dealing with pneumonia because I wouldn't take the time off to get better. And my pain in my back was so bad most days that I would get home. And there were days when my partner would have to lift me off the couch or lift me off the floor to get to bed. And so I got to a point where I really attributed cooking and spending time in the kitchen with pain. Mm -hmm. And I stopped enjoying it and it completely ruined this passion. My whole life, I was going to be a chef, like from when I was very young and it ruined that and it destroyed that. And so Mm. when I finally made the decision to leave the restaurant industry completely, like six or eight months ago, I've started kind of trying to heal that and so starting to cook and adapt things in a way that doesn't destroy that passion for me. And it's also been yeah. a lot of unlearning because there's so much that I definitely, I am now all about like, there is a lot of elitism in food and this, yes, is, the, yes. this is the better way to do things. This is the problem. And I used to be like that very much. So it's a little embarrassing to look back and see the fact I would criticize my brother for using pre-shredded cheese because it's not as good. And like, that's ridiculous. That's absurd. And now I'm doing the complete opposite and saying like, okay, how can I make myself something that I will enjoy in a way that conserves my energy and allows me to enjoy other things in my life outside of the kitchen? So just adapting all of that and really unlearning a lot of the like proper way or best way to do things because most of the times that's not really the proper way or best way the best way is whatever gets food on your table yes i think we can both we really want to talk about that because that's how i came across your content was i think a tiktok where you were talking about or sort of poking fun at the people who were like we want a, adaptive cooking recipes and then you showed recipes that include shortcuts and people are like, no, 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 not like that. Like we want, they want something else that they feel like fits into the ideals of not just like food culturally, but like what food, food media puts out into the world, like of the way you're supposed to do things. I think that we can deeply relate I think we're coming at it from very different places and I'm not trying to make a connection between being a professional chef with chronic illness and being, you know, a recipe developer who's a mom. But this idea that we've both come up against this kind of elitism, I think I can speak for Megan too, when we both feel like we have worked in our respective industries for so long, writing cookbooks, developing recipes, working on television shows for big food personalities, working at some of the biggest food publications. And as soon as you say that what you're most passionate about is helping busy home cooks, 
in a culture that really doesn't slow down much or respect eating at home and really doesn't make room for it, you don't get as much respect as someone who is willing to, you know, braise fennel and use tweezers to make a beautiful cookbook or develop that kind of recipe. And it's just not like, I think we have both come up against feeling sad and frustrated about that and having it impact our relationship with food because you're not taken as seriously as a food person because you're saying, yeah, you guys, as soon as you look at what it's like for most home cooks at home, the pre-shredded cheese is absolutely the way to go. Please give yourself a pass. That pre-shredded cheese or the jarlic, all of the things that just make things a <laughs> little, them. A little yeah. easier. And it has been my goal since I really like started getting involved in the chronic illness community to start sharing accessible recipes. One thing that kept me from doing it is I see all these videos on all the different social media platforms that are beautiful. They're stunning works of art. Yep. And I don't have those camera skills. <laughs> so when I first started sharing videos, I had a couple of comments from people that are like, I like that this seems like something I could make in my kitchen because it yeah. was the first couple of videos were literally my phone leaned against the candle that happened to be on my counter. Like, you know, yep. me just cooking in the kitchen. Can we ask the question then, like, what do you wish that more recipe developers, more people in food media understood about adaptive cooking and like what they can do even within the traditional recipe format, like magazine formats to make cooking more accessible? I think one thing, and this helps everyone, but I've definitely heard it a lot, is offering alternatives for stuff mm -hmm. within recipes. I try to do it. I mean, like you said, we're all food professionals here. So you, all three of us know that you can substitute stuff all day long. But one thing I've realized yep. is most people don't realize that. And so I'll mention in a video, oh, you could substitute, you know, this calls for broccoli, but if you have asparagus, that'll work too. Um, yes. And people don't realize that. So they see a recipe, they get intimidated by it because they don't have one of the items and then they just don't make it. And so I think offering alternatives either, you know, somewhere in the recipe format is really helpful, not just people with disabilities or chronic illnesses, but to everyone. Totally. And I also try to offer dietary restriction type alternatives, you know, of like, yes, this is pasta, but you can use gluten-free pasta. Yes, this is, you know, I'm using chicken, but you could use tofu or whatever and doing alternatives that way too, because there are so many people with chronic illnesses that also have dietary restrictions and don't realize that substitutions are fundamental to cooking anything. You can always substitute stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And do you think it's also important to note, I, I imagine there are different logistics, like the physical act of cooking. So if there's a recipe with a whole lot of chopping indicating you can use pre-chopped onions, you know, Megan and I call them when we're talking them through, we call them permission slips. And that. somehow that never really translates from us talking about food to the way that we write and format a recipe because we've been trained a certain way mm -hmm. to format and write out a recipe. Yeah, I think putting that in there, because that's what a lot of people, I've talked to so many people who feel shame for buying pre-chopped onions or who have been yeah. shamed for buying the frozen vegetables that are already prepped and ready to go um, for various reasons. Either people are telling them they're lazy or people are telling them 
you know, they're creating more plastic, which for a disabled person, like that should not be what they're being shamed about of you're using mm-hmm. a little bit more plastic in order to feed yourself. And just like you said, I love the term permission slips. And I think putting that into a recipe also just like remove some of that level of shame that is so designed into a lot of our cooking. Yeah. And a lot of these shortcuts, do you just use all of them? Are there ones that like, I remember I used to be a stickler about chopping garlic with a knife because if you break down the cell wall, it gets bitter, you know, the whole thing that we all learn. Right. But actually like if it's going to cook a long time in a tomato sauce, it doesn't really matter. It's going to be fine and mellow out. So I use my microplane, but I still have a little bit of a weird thing. (laughs) Like if it's (laughs) going to be like shrimp scampi, something where the garlic is just going to hit the hot pan and oil for just a flash, I'll still be like, no, you should chop this. But like, do you think that's BS? I think it's a mix for me. I definitely use a lot of these, you know, tricks or just shortcuts. Um, it's also been a, like you said, it's giving myself a permission slip. It's still a lot of unlearning of these things that I was taught in culinary school and every kitchen I worked in before and after that. And it's deciding which ones I think actually matter and not just overall, because there's not really an overall rule, but what matters that day for the meal I'm cooking and the amount of energy that I have, because sometimes I will dice up onions and chop up garlic and do everything from scratch. And other days, I just recently started buying the frozen diced onions because it's so much easier. And there's also some stuff that I do display in videos I put out that aren't necessarily things that I do when I'm cooking on my own because they're not tools that I need. But I know that they help other people and seeing a chef use them, I think, gives people permission to do it. Not that they need my permission, but kind of helps them get over that mental hurdle of like, oh, I saw you doing this. It's okay for me to buy this tool that will make things much easier for me. And I love this idea of going day by day and respecting where you are, because the truth is, even if the garlic is a tiny bit more bitter, like if you are giving yourself permission and it means you get to eat something tasty and really the tastiness of scampi isn't going to come from how you dealt with the garlic. Yeah. It's going to come with getting the right amount of lemon that tastes just right to you and salt and, you know, all of that. So just respecting your energy and kind of going with it and then trusting that eventually over time, you're going to figure out what shortcuts really make a big difference to you and how to flavor around those. Yes, exactly. I also am a big fan when it comes to garlic of the like, you know, the garlic paste and the frozen cubes that they sell because yes. it just makes things so much easier in it for, especially for salad dressings or things like that, throw it in and it makes things so much easier. Twenty twenty four is the year we're focused on finally reducing dinner time overwhelm at Didn't I Just Feed You? And that means making grocery shopping easier and more cost effective, especially when it comes to the foods we all tend to spend the most on, like meat. Enter Butcherbox, where you can count on incredible deals on premium cuts. At Butcherbox, you can choose a curated box or customize your order of one hundred percent grass fed beef, free range organic chicken, 
pork-raised, crate-free, and wild-caught seafood to stock your fridge with all the proteins you need for the week, month, or even the year at prices that are hard to come by at the grocery store. That's all your protein shopped for in one shot at great prices delivered to your door with free shipping. Just one change, switching over to ButcherBox, and you guarantee yourself fewer trips to the grocery store and savings that are hard to find at the supermarket. Dinnertime overwhelm be gone. ButcherBox is offering our listeners their choice of a weeknight meal essential, three pounds of chicken thighs, two pounds of ground beef, or one pound of premium steak tips for free in every order for a whole year. Plus, you get $20 off your first order. Sign up today at butcherbox.com backslash D-I-J-F-Y and use the code D-I-J-F-Y, short for Didn't I Just Feed You, to choose your free offer and get $20 off. This episode is brought to you with support from Whole Foods. As our resident Greek girl, I am a sucker for Mediterranean flavors and want you to taste the Mediterranean too. Go to Whole Foods Market now and save on regionally inspired products through March 19th. Find sales on animal welfare certified meat, including boneless, skinless, air-chilled chicken breast, bone-in beef short ribs, ground lamb, and more. Save on whole bronzini and sustainable wild-caught sockeye salmon. And stock up on Mediterranean essentials like feta cheese crumbles, whole wheat pita pockets, and if you're over 21, wines from Spain, Greece, and Italy. Grab your ingredients and experiment with family-friendly Mediterranean cuisine today. Think Greek-style ground lamb pitas, lemony oven roasted chicken, or bronzino, or instant pot short ribs braised in wine. All simple and delicious. Taste the Mediterranean now at Whole Foods Market. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. Is anyone else struggling with what to wear these days? I've been pretty frustrated with getting dressed over the last few months as I've navigated body changes, and some days I quite literally have no idea what to wear. Enter Armoire. Armoire allows you to rent high-quality designer clothing for every occasion. When I signed up, I took a style quiz, and based on my preferences, they offered suggestions that would best match my life. I've been renting clothes from Armoire for a while now, and the more I rent, the more on point the suggestions get. Plus, you send what you wear back, which is a great way to try new styles without waste. Armoire also has such a fantastic range of options. Whether you're planning an outfit for a date night, packing for a conference, or maybe a family event, or just need some updated options for everyday life, you'll be the best-dressed person in the room without ever having to find time for an exhausting shopping day. Right now, Didn't I Just Feed You listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash D-I-J-F-Y. That is armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash D-I-J-F-Y to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. Do you ever feel like you're in a never-ending cycle of snacks and meals? We get it. That's why we're excited to share Home Threads, the ultimate solution for creating a stylish and functional family space. At homethreads.com, Discover furniture that can handle the chaos of family life. From wipeable dining chairs to kitchen tables and light fixtures. Or you can just freshen up your kitchen with trays, counter lamps, decor, and other affordable accents that will help you update your kitchen into a room you love spending time in. 
head over to homethreads.com slash D-I-J-F-Y, short for Dinner and I Just Feed You, to get a code for 15% off your first order. Because if you're going to be feeding them three times a day, plus snacks, you deserve a home that feeds your style. Home Threads, love where you live. That's homethreads.com backslash D-I-J-F-Y today to get 15% off your first order. A thing that is really bubbling up for me is this idea of how we, as professional recipe developers, we know all of these things intuitively. Like there's so many options, there's shortcuts, there's different paths you can take to get to the same end result. And yet we write recipes as being like very instructional, very prescriptive. And I'm just like so curious about the future of food writing, of recipes, instructional cooking content, both with like the many more voices that seem to be included in food media these days and also weirdly AI technology. Like I'm so curious how that will impact this. This idea of like a recipe or instructional cooking content in some degree, whether it's video or audio or whatever, being more of a conversation so that as developers, we can be like, hey, if you want to use that jarred garlic, you totally can. You need this amount instead of fresh. And you're going to want to put it in at this stage of the pasta sauce rather than at the beginning. And you'll still get to the end result there. Yeah, I it's funny because that's kind of always how I've written recipes. When I was going through culinary school, I started a blog because I had so many friends that would always tell me they couldn't cook. Um, and they wanted me to teach them. They're like, come over and teach me how to cook. And I was like, I can't, that's, I can't just come over for a few hours and teach you how to cook. So I started a blog called, but I can't cook for all my friends that <laughs> use that as their excuse for not knowing how to cook. And I wrote the recipes very much that way. But it was because I think oftentimes recipes are written with an assumption that people have a basic starting point that they often don't have. And so I was writing recipes from the understanding, it was mostly for my friends, that they didn't know what they were doing. And so writing them the way you're talking about of like, here's the different ways that you can do this that are very intuitive for people who have a lot more experience cooking. Um, And one thing that I think is really interesting, I feel like there's really, you know, the very prescriptive recipes. And there's also a lot of a, like, very purist mentality when it comes to cooking of like, this is the right way to do this dish. This is the authentic way. Mm -hmm. And I think obviously, there's an element of honoring cultures where foods come from. But there's also this element of most of the popular food that we're eating today started out as like, a peasant dish that had a million different ways of being made, depending on what season it was, what was available, whose table you were sitting around. And now we've decided that there's one proper way to make that dish when there's not. There's a million different ways because we're in this weird time in history where you finally have access to every ingredient you could ever need at any time of the year in most parts of the country when that's not how any of these recipes were developed. It's so true. I, You know, this conversation about recipe writing is really interesting to me because I feel like I've always prided myself on writing recipes for people who I assumed were coming at it either with very little time, very little natural desire to be cooking under the circumstances that they were cooking under. And 
the problem for me was that I became so wordy because I wanted to give all of the variations. Like you can use this or you can use this and you can do it here or you can add there. And just writing it out can become, it just can become too much. So I love this idea, Megan, that you're talking about with AI and video, because I think that these other media formats being a part of how we understand cooking, because some people are going to learn visually. Sometimes it's easier to show adaptations when you can just do it and then quickly talk over it, as opposed to only having writing as the primary mode of communication is gives us so many more opportunities to reach different cooks where they're at. So we obviously need a Didn't I Just Feed You and Kendra DePinto app where everyone can watch us and download everything. <laughs> okay. Until until we get there, uh, Kendra, I'm curious, what are like some tools that you have found that make cooking more accessible to you? Is it like your, a, a kitchen stool that you're able to sit on and work from? Is it certain types of choppers what do you have in your kitchen uh i have a kitchen stool i definitely have one of those i'm very i'm 511 and my back doesn't bend at all so i'm way towering over the countertop so my kitchen stool is great does it have wheels it does not i kind of honestly okay. it was a bar stool from our kitchen and i need to get a different stool but this is what we had and working with it i also like i said the uh, glass snapware is my favorite tool because I can use it to store anything in the freezer. I can go straight from the freezer to the oven. I'm also, you know, getting better with doing some of my chopping. I have a mini food processor and doing some of my chopping in the mini food processor, which is also just very easy to clean afterwards. So it's not a lot of extra work as opposed to my big industrial one that I also have. It's a lot of just like little I also have some other chopping tools I have one that it's not necessarily a tool that I need a lot but I know that it helps a lot of other people and it's this it holds like an onion or whatever you're trying to slice and it's these prongs that go through it and hold it in place while you slice so that especially if you have uh, you know dexterity issues or aren't very steady with your hands or on, I got my first one when I was like 12 and had zero knife skills whatsoever. And it would help me cut things into nice little slices. So that tool is really helpful. I use it occasionally. I use it a lot in videos and I use it occasionally on my own. I don't know what it's called because I literally searched onion stabber slicer thing and found it. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, it's like a claw. Is that the term for it? I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it has like a ton of prongs, like a fork, but it's yes. wider and it's you can hold it at the top. So it holds it very steady. Um, that thing, I think, is amazing for a lot of people in the kitchen. That's one of my favorite kitchen tools. Yeah, we had a listener who specifically asked about like he's he's recently disabled and is still trying to cook and also repair his relationship with food and cooking is something he feels really passionate about. And specifically what he runs into is like not having as much arm strength to do a lot of the things that he had been doing previously. And so I love this idea of like taking a tool that's maybe even meant for kids who are learning to cook and just using it. If that's the thing that lets you have less fatigue when you're trying to chop the vegetables that you can't buy pre-cooked, 
and using it to like make those tasks a little bit easier. Yeah. And one thing that I always like try to remind people of that comes up a lot is I'll share a tool like that, or I'll share a recipe tip that helps me as a disabled person. And I'll get comments from somebody else that says, you know, I'm not disabled, but this would really help me. Or uh, you touched on it earlier, I think, Stacy, about, you know, I'm not disabled, but I'm a mom with kids. And I don't have the time, like, this is helpful for me, because I'm exhausted and don't have the time, and all of these things. And that's accessibility helps everyone. It doesn't just help disabled people, it helps every single person, whether it's an accessible recipe or accessibility in other ways. All of these things that I'm sharing as like tricks for to make cooking easier with a chronic illness also can help the busy mom or the, you know, single person that's working two jobs to pay their rent or the teenager that's learning how to cook on their own. Absolutely. I feel like we get like we that could be the mic drop, like we could end <laughs> the episode here. But I also want to ask about like kitchen organization. And and like you mentioned that you're 5'11", but you can't bend over. So like when you move into a house or you move into a rent, like a rental situation, are you having to adapt the existing design of a kitchen to be more accessible to you? Kitchens are hard to adapt too much. In a perfect yeah. world, I would build my own house and our kitchen counters would be like six inches higher. But yeah, I do have a lot of things organized differently than is probably normal. But also one thing that I've been trying to get comfortable with is that the traditional way of organizing, whether it's my kitchen or my laundry room or some other space in my house, doesn't have to be the way I do it. So currently... Um, my pots and pans are all in a way higher up drawer than most people would keep them because I use them all the time. And I have some random other kitchen tools that are not even in my kitchen because I don't use them very often. I keep all of my heavy appliances, like my KitchenAid mixer and a couple other heavier tools because I'm not allowed to lift more than 10 pounds. And I don't always want to wait for my partner to come home to pull out an appliance. I keep them on the countertop. And it's just stuff like that where I I have this new rule that I'm working on. If something is consistently an issue for me, rather than trying to like, I just try to avoid the issue, whether that's reorganizing. I don't necessarily try to make myself work around that. I try to make that issue not exist. So if the issue yes. is that I can't lift my kitchen and mixer, I don't need to. It lives on my countertop. I think it's very specific person to person. I also always have my freezer organized with a lot of frozen vegetables that are easy to grab out. I go through like six bags of frozen spinach a month that are just very easily accessible. And I keep my fridge stocked. I have those little plastic containers that you can pull out really easily and clean really easily. Mm -hmm. I keep snacks in like three of them because a lot of the times if I have a medicine that I need to take with food or if I know I'm just not feeling well or don't have the energy, I don't have to think about what I can eat. I know that those drawers, I keep snacks in them and I can just pull one out and grab a snack. I also have a snack tower that are just set up ready. So I don't need to use my mental energy to feed myself all of the time. Yes, that's a huge one. And like you said, it's something that even us as like busy parents, we run into. But I love so, so much that I want to call out again, this permission slip that you're giving people to like leave your pots and pans out 
on your stovetop, if that makes it easier, or like if you have, if like it just ignites cooking for you faster, or to like not worry about like having this most pristine counter space when like you really just need a place for your cutting board and you can have your appliances out and ready to use at any time. Yes. Yeah. I used to be completely, I had to have clear counters all the time. And I'm like, that just isn't realistic. And I don't actually need that. Yeah. A weird ideal that like food media and chefy culture has put in our brain of mise en place and organization. I mean, that's the thing, right? When you talk about accessibility, helping everybody, there is so much. I mean, Megan just hit the nail on the head that so much of cooking culture, when I was growing up, I mean, I'm nearing 50 years old. So when I was growing up, there wasn't food culture like there is now. You know, it really, there were some cooking shows on PBS, you know, there was Julia Child and Jacques Papin, but like, that was really it. And things really broke wide open with Martha Stewart and her magazine, Living. But a lot of what established food media came from wanting to replicate what chefs were doing, wanting to elevate what you did at home, wanting to entertain. And that culture has really stuck. And so accessibility really is about making cooking easier for everybody, for you, however you need to do it, whether it's because you have a chronic illness or you live with pain or you have two kids pulling at your apron strings, whatever it is. I love this idea of just really being honest with yourself about what it will take for you to be able to get meals on the table and accepting that and going with it. Because the three of us know, like we can get the flavor, like, and we'll help you guys. Like we got it. You can get the flavor. However, whether you leave your pots on the stove or you keep them in a cabinet underneath, like that isn't the key to good cooking. Yeah. And one thing that I have just been like telling myself over and over again, and also just reiterating in all of my videos at the end of the day, the goal is to feed yourself. Yes, Like it's to feed yourself and get to the next day. Obviously, if you have children also feed them. But yes. <laughs> feed yourself and it's anyone a good idea. else. Feed yourself and anyone else you're responsible for. And that's the goal. That doesn't need to look a certain way. It should look like whatever is accessible to you within your physical ability, your financial ability, the amount of time and energy you have, the location of the country you live in, because that limits what's accessible to you as well. All of those things play a factor. And once you take all of those things into consideration, how can you feed yourself and your family? That's the goal at the end of the day is to just put food in your put food in your bellies. Put yes. food in your belly. Kendra, this has been both fun and also informational. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This has been amazing. Thanks, Kendra. I loved talking with Kendra and I mentioned that I found her via TikTok, but also we had a listener tag us, send us a DM about Kendra uh, on Instagram as we well. Did. And I, this is one of those times where I feel like social media is great. Like it connects us with people with different worldviews. It creates a different area of accessibility for people. And I love what Kendra said about how, you know, she started making recipe videos and felt like they weren't as polished as like big food bloggers, but then that people really loved them. Yeah. And I feel like we can relate. <laughs> 
right? Yes. I want to hear from our listeners again, even though this is like a listener request, especially if they know people who want to talk to us about adaptive cooking as not chefs. Because I feel like so much of Kendra's advice really comes from that lens of like making things taste really good, but still making them accessible. And she has this big boon of having gone to culinary school to help her. She has so much more knowledge. And I'm just curious, like someone who doesn't have that background, how they approach adaptive cooking. Yeah. And I also would love to hear from people who are having to feed kids, because I do think that that's a different level of mental labor, feeling responsible, you know, for kids, because even if at the end of the day, all you end up doing is pouring yourself a bowl of cereal, it feels really different for a lot of parents, not for everyone. And hopefully more and more, not for everyone, a different level of guilt or I should be doing it different or shame or just those that negative self-talk that comes when you feel like you aren't taking care of your little ones, your big ones, the way you quote unquote should be. Yes. So, you know, I'm going to take it to the best place on the internet. Do it. Take it there. Our Didn't I Just Feed You listeners community. We hope that you joined us there. If not, join for free at didn'tijustfeedyou.com backslash community. And you can get those bonus episodes and other goodies, those bonus bonuses as they are, (laughs) by joining our supporting community. Follow us on Instagram. Also, we are at Didn't I Just Feed You. Keep in touch by signing up for our newsletter. We just make big changes, getting a lot of positive feedback. Sending out the newsletter only once a month, but it is chock full of links and info. It's so juicy. A huge thank you to our producer, Samantha Gatsik. I'm Stacy, And I'm Megan. Stay sane and well-fed. Until next week. Be sure to subscribe to Didn't I Just Feed You wherever you're listening. And don't forget to rate and review. 